the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Like a brick wall is going to stop Jesus, right? I mean, you think about how, you know, he comes in glory. Every eye will see him in all of his glory and all of his majesty, riding out of heaven on a horse, robe dipped in blood. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Zacharias says it's going to split in two. There's going to be an earthquake. And then he's going to get to that gate, you know, and man, bricks. Everything's just going to come to a screeching halt, you know. Consummation of all of human history is going to get stopped by that wall. Walls, built to keep things out and hold things in. Did you know that the Bible talks about a gate that was bricked shut to stop Jesus and the prophecy of what will happen before he returns? Pastor Dan continues his message in Ezekiel, teaching that when the Jewish people decided to sin and not repent, the Lord left. The gate was shut. Bricks were placed. However, in Ezekiel's vision, he saw Jesus return to the temple in all his glory. Dear one, have faith. His kingdom will come. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Ezekiel chapter 42 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Let me just say that many Orthodox Jews today desire to have a temple again. And they have already begun the preparation for the next temple. They've already built the furniture and the utensils that will go into and be used in the temple. They've already made the priestly garments for this next temple. They have it all ready and waiting Uh, You can go to Jerusalem today, and there's a museum in Jerusalem that has many of these articles on display. Uh, Even out just in a a public square, they have the lampstand, the giant golden lampstand that is going to stand in the next temple. You can see all of this. It's there. In fact, when you talk to some of the Orthodox Jews, they say, we have already begun the rebuilding of the temple because we've already made the furniture. We've got all the furniture built. We've got the priestly clothes made and everything. So in their minds, they've already started the process of building the next temple. And again, you can go and you can see much of these items in a museum there in Jerusalem. You can see the lampstand in Jerusalem. And so there's a, there's a, a segment of Jews who are looking forward to and desire to have a temple in Jerusalem. A couple years ago, 2019, the U.S. ambassador to Israel was uh, presented a photograph at a ceremony. He was presented this photograph as a gift from an Orthodox Jewish group. And the photograph was an aerial photo of Jerusalem. Uh, But in the photo, there was a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount in place of the Dome of the Rock. And when this was presented to the U.S. ambassador to Israel, it was a photo opportunity, he didn't realize 
that there's a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount and the photograph. And so photographs were taken of him holding up this photo and were you know, distributed over news outlets around the world of the U.S. ambassador to Israel holding a photo of Jerusalem with a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount in place of the Dome of the Rock, which of course offended uh, many Muslim groups. But that just shows that some Jews have a desire for a temple again. And many Jews who have this desire for the temple to be rebuilt, they'll tell you that the Messiah will rebuild the temple. And they will tell you that's how they'll know their Messiah. Whoever allows them to rebuild the temple, that's the Messiah. And so you can understand how the Antichrist will deceive the Jewish people with this covenant that allows them to rebuild their temple and start their sacrifices. Again, they're going to think he's the Messiah until he goes into the temple and commits the abomination that makes desolation, declares himself to be God. So that's the third temple that is to come. That temple is going to be destroyed by the return of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus will build this fourth and final temple that Ezekiel describes here and these final chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Now listen to this passage out of Zechariah. Again, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, that's speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. The Messiah will. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, so he will be both a king and a priest, and the council of peace shall shall be between them both. So there in Zechariah 6, it says, the branch, the Messiah, he will build the temple, and he will sit upon his throne in the temple. That's the temple that Ezekiel sees here in these chapters. So now we're going to get into chapter 42. Chapter 42, where we pick up It begins by describing the chambers for the priests that will be on the northern and southern side of the sanctuary. The priests, one on the northern side, one on the southern side of the sanctuary area. And I'm not going to read through all of these measurements of it. It describes the measurements of the buildings of those chambers. So in chapter 42, I want you to skip down and look at verse 13. Verse 13, it tells us the purpose of these chambers. Then he said to me, the north chambers and the south chambers, again, on each side of the sanctuary, which are opposite the separating courtyard, are the holy chambers where the priests who approach the Lord shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall lay the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering for the place is holy. So the priests will eat the offerings and these chambers. So these chambers on each side of the sanctuary, the north side and south side, they serve as dining rooms for the priests. Again, we talked about this before during the kingdom age, people will go up to the temple to worship and they will bring sacrifices. Sacrifices will be reinstituted at this temple, just like in the Old Testament temple. And just as the Old Testament offerings and sacrifices pointed ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, 
during the kingdom age, all of these offerings and sacrifices will point back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. In a similar way to the way that we uh, take communion today as a memorial of the sacrifice, as a way of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. And so the priests, when these offerings are brought, they'll eat them in these chambers. Then verse 14 says, When the priests enter them, they shall not go out of the holy chamber into the outer court, but there they shall leave their garments in which they minister, for they are holy. They shall put on other garments. Then they may approach that which is for the people. So the priests were not to wear their holy garments among the people. They had garments that they would wear when they would go in to minister to the Lord and serve the Lord, but when they would go out from serving the Lord in that way, they were not to wear these holy garments among the people. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus condemned the hypocrisy of the religious leaders in his day. And as part of that condemnation, Jesus said, you know, they like to wear long flowing robes. They like to wear the large phylactery boxes for all to see. He said they do all their works to be seen by men. In other words, they pridefully flaunted their spirituality to be esteemed and admired by people. They wanted people to see that they were priests and, and admire them for serving as priests. And there are people today in the church who like to flaunt their spirituality or who try to impress others with their spirituality or impress others with their religious devotion or they like to subtly make you aware of how spiritual they are or impress you with the ministries that they're involved in or with the big name pastors that they personally know. It's the same kind of thing. But in the kingdom age, the priests are not to wear their holy garments out in public. They're not to draw attention to the fact that they're priests. In other words, they're to serve the Lord with humility. Humility. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. We're to put on humility. We're put on meekness. You know, the greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus humbled himself and he became a man and he dwelt among us. You know, the only autobiographical statement Jesus ever made about himself that's recorded for us in the Bible, he said, I am meek and lowly. I am meek and lowly. Jesus was humble. John the Baptist. John the Baptist said that he did not know Jesus was the Messiah until he saw the Holy Spirit descend and rest upon Jesus Christ. Now think about that. John says, I didn't know he was the Messiah until after I baptized him and the Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him. Now you know that 
Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. They were born only six months apart, so they grew up together. They knew each other. They were family, and yet John had no idea Jesus was the Messiah until his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Which tells us that Jesus never boasted to John about being the Messiah or the Savior of the world. He never bragged about it, never flaunted it, apparently never mentioned it at all, because John was clueless that he was the Messiah. Think about that. Never once in all of his life, growing up with John, did he ever, ever give any indication that he's the Savior of the world. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. And I wonder if after the baptism and the Holy Spirit descending, if John the Baptist said anything to Jesus. Did he say, like, why didn't you ever tell me you're the Savior of the world? You know, I mean, come on, we're cousins. We grew up together. Why, why didn't you say anything? It just shows how humble Jesus was and how meek. Not boastful, not flaunting. Again, sometimes you meet people, and man, you, you talk to them for two minutes, and they're telling you all about what they're doing for the Lord, and who they know, and, you know, to impress you. And Jesus didn't do that. And that's how we should be. And so the priests, when they go out and deal with the people, they're not to wear their priestly garments in front of people. They're not to draw attention to themselves and the fact that they serve as priests. And so now verse 15, we come to verse 15. And beginning in verse 15, we're given the outer dimensions of the temple. Again, so the whole perimeter of the temple here. Verse 15 says, Now, when he had finished measuring the inner temple, he brought me out through the gateway that faces toward the east and measured it all around. He measured the east side with the measuring rod. It was 500 rods. Again, a rod is about 10 and a half feet long. So it's 500 rods by the measuring rod all around each side. He measured the north side, 500 rods by the measuring rod all around. He measured the south side, 500 rods by the measuring rod. He came around to the west side and measured 500 rods by the measuring rod. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall around 500 cubits long and 500 cubits wide. It separated the holy area from the common. So the temple is a square, uh, and each side, each wall of the temple was 500 rods long, or approximately one mile long on each side of the temple. And so the temple itself covered one square mile, much larger than the temple mount that's on Mount Moriah today. The kingdom temple will require a change to the topography of Jerusalem for this temple to be built on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. The geography's got to change to fit a temple that big on Mount Moriah. 
Now, this change in the topography of Jerusalem is predicted in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. Again, if you're taking notes, jot down Zechariah 14, verse 9 and 10. It describes when the Lord, and it's the word Yahweh, is king over all the earth. It says the land around Jerusalem will become a vast plain. It's going to be flat all around Jerusalem. It's not flat today, far from it. But in the kingdom age, the land around Jerusalem will become a vast plain. And Jerusalem will be raised up high as a high mountain. And on that high mountain will be the temple that will be one square mile in in size. If you remember back in chapter 40, uh, Ezekiel, when he first saw the temple in this vision, he described it as something like a city. When he saw it, it was like a city, it's so large. It's one square mile. Now, that brings us now to chapter 43. And in chapter 43, the glory of the Lord returns to the temple. Back in chapters 8 to 11, uh, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple because of the sin and immorality and idolatry of the people of Jerusalem. God departed. He left. God is a holy God and he will not dwell with unholiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul asks, What fellowship can righteousness and wickedness have together? And what do light and darkness have in common? And the answer, of course, is nothing at all. Light and darkness cannot dwell together in the same place. Righteousness and wickedness cannot have fellowship together. And because of the wickedness of the people, God left. He left the temple. And he departed. And it's described for us in earlier chapters, chapters 8 to 11. And we see him leave through the eastern gate back in chapter 11, verse 23. And now, in this kingdom temple, God's glory returns through the eastern gate. He comes back the way that he left. So, verse 1 of chapter 43. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. And behold... The glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. The voice of God is described the same way in Revelation. And the earth shone with his glory. Remember Jesus said when he comes back a second time, it will be like lightning flashing from east to west. And all of the earth will see The glory of God, every eye will see the coming of the Lord. And here we're told as Ezekiel sees the glory of God coming back into returning to the temple, the earth shone with his glory. Verse three, it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision, the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar and I fell On my face. You may remember in the early chapters of Ezekiel. Chapter 1 where you had that weird vision of the glory of God. And the wheel within the wheel. And the chariot wheels. And and all of that. It's the glory of God. And he sees the glory of God in the same way now. Coming back. And he falls on his face. As he sees the glory of God. And the glory of the Lord. Verse 4. Came 
into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east, the eastern gate. It's brick shut. There's a cemetery in front of the gate. And the reason it's brick shut is in the 1500s, Suleiman the Magnificent of the Ottoman Empire, a Muslim, he bricked it shut. And he put the cemetery in front of the gate because of Ezekiel 43. In response to this prophecy in Ezekiel 43 that says the glory of the Lord will come into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east, Suleiman the Magnificent, a Muslim, he bricks the gate shut, he puts a cemetery in front of the gate because he believed that would prevent the Jewish Messiah from entering in through the eastern gate of the temple because he believed a Jewish person will not defile himself by walking through a cemetery and would not be able to bust through that brick wall. Like a brick wall is going to stop Jesus, right? I mean, you think about how you know, he comes in glory, every eye will see him in all of his glory and all of his majesty, riding out of heaven on a horse, robe dipped in blood. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Zacharias is going to split in two. There's going to be an earthquake. And he's going to get to that gate, you know, and man, <laughs> bricks. Everything's just going to come to a screeching halt, you know. Consummation of all of human history is going to get stopped by that wall. But it is interesting to consider the fact that a political leader made policies to try to prevent the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, even though he didn't believe in it. Even though publicly he might say, it, it's not true, it's superstition. But he's making policies against it. Now, without realizing it, Suleiman the Magnificent actually fulfilled prophecy by shutting the eastern gate. Turn over to chapter 44. Look at verse 1. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord, notice that's Yahweh, said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened and no man shall enter by it because the Lord God, notice the Lord's all capital, Yahweh God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. So here it says, the eastern gate shall be kept shut. Why? Because the Lord God, Yahweh God, has entered through that gate. Now when did the Lord God enter through the eastern gate? Triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. He entered through the eastern gate on his way into Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So without even realizing it, Suleiman the Magnificent actually fulfilled this prophecy by shutting that gate and bricking it shut. So going back to chapter 43, he sees the glory of the Lord return back to the temple through the eastern gate. Verse 5, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord fills this kingdom age millennial temple just as the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle of Moses back in Exodus chapter 34 and filled Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 6. He 
We're so glad you tuned in to hear today's edition of Ring of Truth as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezekiel together. If you'd like to hear this message again or more from Pastor Dan, feel free to visit our website at calvaryec.com. You can listen to and download a wide range of previous broadcasts or simply subscribe to our podcast. Sometimes life can get busy. And when it gets busy, it can be hard to find the time to dig deeper into the Bible for ourselves. At Ring of Truth, we've tried to make it a bit easier for you. Our podcasts provide you with up-to-date teachings through the Bible and can be taken with you wherever you go. This way, you'll have encouragement from God's Word throughout the day. You'll find a link to subscribe to our podcast at our website, calvaryec.com, or just search for Ring of Truth in iTunes. We'd love to hear how Ring of Truth has had an impact on your life. So please let us know by giving us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. We'd also love to be praying for you. So when you call, feel free to share any prayer requests that are on your heart, and we'd be happy to pray with and for you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join us next time as Pastor Dan continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Ezekiel, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes It's true.